Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach who works with managers, C-level executives, and business owners who want to become more mindful and self-aware of how they operate, whether that be through selling, managing, or running their own business. I believe for us to truly connect with those around us, whether they be our customers, colleagues, even friends or family, we need to truly understand ourselves first of all, understand what makes us tick, what makes us feel fulfilled in our life, and what do we really want. And this is one of the reasons why I started Not Another Sales Podcast, because too much is placed on the practicality and skill of doing something. Whilst that's important, I believe we should start with our mindset and behaviours. Start at the root, understand that, and grow it from there. This episode of Not Another Sales Podcast is brought to you by Mindful Talent, a global coaching organisation that trains aspiring coaches and innovative leaders. Their programs, The Trusted Coach and The Trusted Leader, are founded on the principles of mindfulness and developed in alignment with contemporary neuroscience, offering a globally recognised coaching qualification that is accredited by the Association for Coaching. Their online blended learning program has qualified hundreds of participants around the world, helping them to gain an edge in life and in business by increasing their emotional and social intelligence and their ability to connect with others. If you're interested in training with this incredible organization, which I would highly recommend, then you can visit their website and use my personalized URL code to gain 10% off any of their programs. www.mindfultalent.coach That's www.mindfultalent.coach and reference my code, not another sales. And now, on with the episode. In today's episode, I'm joined by... VP of Marketing and Outreach and CEO and founder of Sales Hacker, Max Altshuler. And Max and I are going to be talking all about the do's and don'ts of sales management. Max is going to start by sharing what he's observed in terms of the evolution within sales and management around that. What are the some of the things that managers need in this day and age to be successful within their teams? What impact it's having by not doing this? The experiences that Max has found from good managers and great managers that he's worked with and also been managed by throughout his career, and also what he's learned the most about what he's done and how also he then started Sales Hacker. So sit back, grab a pen and pad, and enjoy. Max, welcome. How are you? Doing all right. How are you? Really well, thanks. Thanks for joining me on an episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. And for Max, for people tuning in, I always feel it's a great way to to open the podcast episode for the guests to give them a bit of a, an insight, an overview, a bit of a story, really, in a nutshell of, of who you are and what makes you you. What makes me me? Uh, CEO of Sales Hacker. Uh, so we built a media company for all B2B sales that are focused on kind of modern sales, leveraging technology in the sales process. And really understanding kind of where sales is going in the future and how to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. And we do that through our blog, um, through uh, podcasts, um, webinars that we do. We do about two webinars a week um, and any other kind of kind of uh, digital media. So right now it's like online only. Uh, and then in August, I think it was, we got acquired by uh, Outreach, which is a leading sales engagement platform that helps you do kind of all the activities and insights um, for any sales engagement, so whether it's prospecting or customer related, um, and I'm running uh, marketing for them. So, 
uh, I got those two things going on. And then I wrote a book called Hacking Sales and another one recently called Sales Engagement. Great, great. So very busy, very um, enjoyable. Very. I'm having fun. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned there around um, in the first part there around where sales is going in the future. And this is one of the aspects I wanted to, to get your take on today. And that I've talked a lot about with different guests on this platform from how tech and the use of social media has evolved the way in which we sell. But I'm curious to get your take on, on how it's evolved the way people should manage those people that are selling and if there's any sort of do's and don'ts really around that. But before we get into that, I would, I would love your take on what aspects of evolution have you noticed in the world of sales, even in the last 12 months, let alone the last two or three years? Very recently, uh, I think we've started to evolve to a place where um, insights into our actions have become super important and how it dictates your next best actions. So you're starting to see uh, this in, I, I think, like maybe three crucial buckets in, in how you interact with the customer. But you have the sales engagement, you have chat, and then you have conversational intelligence. And all of them are providing you with uh, different levels of insights to better engage with your customer or prospect. And I think you're, you're starting to see them um, involved in ways that can help you dictate you know, what that next best action is. For, so, for example, if you send an email that has a video in it and the person watches the video, you should get a prompt that, that tells you um, so-and-so just watched your video and it prompts a, a phone call. It prompts a sequence right off of um, that activity. Same thing can happen in chat. Uh, you know, this person is, is no longer there. Would you like to, would you like to prompt the next best action? So there's somebody was chatting into you, they disappeared. What is the next thing that you should do to make sure you keep in touch with that, that prospect or that customer? Um, same thing with, um, conversational intelligence, things that hook into your, um, into your conversations, into your phone, record the conversation, can transcribe the conversation, but also give you best practices around what to do. Um, on future calls. And what all these things allow you to do essentially is understand your next best action, but also understand um, if you can, if you know your next best action every time, you can essentially clone your best reps. Um, and what that means is, you know, you have, you have all the data and insights from all these different platforms that you're using on how you engage or interact with your customers and prospects and taking those insights and saying, okay, every time, X happens, we should do Y. So when we are on a call and the prospect brings up uh, pricing in the first three minutes, what is the rebuttal? What is, how are you addressing that across your entire team going forward? And mm -hmm. what is the technology that you're using to make sure that you're doing that the best way possible every time? So instead of just going off, you know, uh, you know, kind of old school experience intuition, doing it off of the data, doing it off of what insights and then the repeatability of what you've done in the past are telling you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And with this evolution around technology and social media, it's, it's very interesting how people's mindset can, can let them either adjust to it or adapt to it or just almost resist it and stay stuck in their ways and their old habits thinking this isn't how we used to do it. It's like, that's fine. But if you're not doing it, your competition are and it's up to you if you want to adapt or, or die really. Yeah, exactly. I, I think like, I think you'll start to see that the companies that don't adapt do die. 
they do put themselves yeah. at a disadvantage. I think that the error that we're in with sales technology right now is akin to, you know, the phone or, or email being invented. Like if you were a door-to-door salesman before the phone was invented and then the phone, you know, then like somebody said to you, Hey, there's a phone now you can use. And you said, no, thanks. Like you pretty much just put yourself at a, an extreme disadvantage. And then the same thing when like email came out, you know, if you were like, no, nah, I'm only going to sell it with phone. I'm not going to use email or anything like that. You put yourself at an extreme disadvantage. You, you know, yeah. you, you basically crushed your total adjustable market because you didn't want to get out of, you know, what you knew you didn't want to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and talking about that, that growth aspect, then what are some of the things from a sales management perspective in this day and age that you feel people need to be successful to manage an effective sales team? Uh, yeah. Um, I think you, so I don't actually think you need to be like super technological because you should have like a sales operations person or somebody on your team that manages the the technology side of things. I, I think you need to understand basic math and, you know, that's for everybody in sales, whether it's here's how many um, activities we need to get X. If we do that, here's how many um, opportunities we need to get Y into meetings, into et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They need to be able to understand that funnel. And now that there's more technology at their fingertips, there's less actual math that needs to be done, but you still need to understand how all those things connect and what are the things that you need to tweak in order to get those numbers to move up in other areas of the funnel. So like, you know, just it, it's great to have more at the top, but just because you put more in the top doesn't mean it's going to connect to the rest of it. You need to actually understand uh, that'll help you understand where there's a break. Like, so if there's a lot in the top, but then there's not a lot in the next step, then you need to shore up that middle piece, right? You need to shore up that conversation. So then you need to look at, you know, you need to look, start managing your reps conversations, you need a, a conversational intelligence tool like you're in a gong or a chorus or exec vision or something like that. And you need to understand what they're saying on the phones because you're giving them a lot of at bats, but those at bats aren't turning into the next step. They're not the, dis, the, the discovery call is not turning into a demo. So something's wrong, right? So it's about yeah. understanding where the break is and then managing that appropriately and getting, um, getting a process set up. So you know exactly you know, what, what you need to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And from a skills perspective or what sales managers need to be more mindful of from a behavioral point of view, is there anything there you think that's fundamentally important now that may have not been 10, 15 years ago? Um, from a skills perspective, I mean, I, I think the other thing that's changed is um, the kind of mindset of the person that is, that is, uh, navigating their career right now from the get-go. So like a, if you're managing somebody who's under 35 years old, you're managing millennials. If you're managing somebody who's under, let's say, 25 to 27 years old, you're managing Gen, I think it's a Gen Z. I mean, there are like very distinct differences between previous generations and millennials and Gen Z. And as, techno- as technology grows and moves faster, the generations that are like kind of like the t- generation timeframes will shorten and the generation generation to generation differences will widen. So for example, like, you know, maybe baby boomers was 15 or 20 years, but millennials is only like an eight to 10 year frame. 
And then the difference between a baby boomer and a Gen X person is, you know, maybe not that much. But the difference between a millennial and a Gen Z person is going to be a lot because technology is moving very quickly. You're native to different things. So a millennial is native to social networks. You know, I I graduated uh, high school and Facebook had just started. I'm native to text messaging. I was in high school when text messaging uh, existed. So managing somebody who's native to those things and, and, you know, uh, approaches the world in a different way, you know, it's, it's different. You know, you, you can't manage a millennial the same way in, in a lot of cases. I'm not going to make a completely, you know, generalized statement, but I think a lot of times you have to be mindful of saying, okay, this, these people grew up differently. So we need to, we need to manage them and get the most out of them um, mm-hmm. in a different way. And so I think that there's a skill there that is, you know, if you're not a millennial, you need to do, and you manage a lot of the millennials, you need to find ways to um, set your org up for success and understand their plight and their, and like what makes them move, what motivates them. Um, you know, well, I, I know a lot of millennials that are not as motivated by, you know, the, I want to get married, um, start a family, buy a house thing by 30. They want to travel till they're 35. That's yeah. a very different mindset, right? So like, how do you manage somebody like that who maybe cares less about money and more about time and freedom or things like that? So I think that's a skill in itself is just understanding the people that you're managing and um, trying to get in their shoes when they're very different from you. Yeah, and I think for me as well on that point with with people who are motivated in different ways, it's it's about empowering them and utilizing the fact that because they're from different generations, they're going to come in with a fresh set of eyes almost and be able to be innovators, not just conformers and kind of stick to what everyone else is doing. Yeah. They're going to come in and, and see things differently. And, and just as important thing about a sales management role is, is surrounding yourself with people that are going to be better at you at certain things. And that's fine because you can utilize them. And it's all about the team rather than everyone thinking you have to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Exactly. So when, when you think back to your career, when you first started out, what, what stood out for you in terms of managers that really made an imprint in your career or, or things that they've said or, or did for you? What were the uh, things that stood out? Let's see. Um, so one of the things that I think helped me the most is, is getting mentors or advisors that were outside of the organization. And in some cases I've had, um, leadership do that on my behalf. In other cases, I've had to reach out and go seek that out. So however you do it, however you, you you know, you as a manager can set it up or, or, you know, you can empower your people to do so, but allowing them to, you know, find some advisors or mentors personally that they can talk to, that isn't about the company, but, you know, helps them with their career, helps them with um, the decisions and things that they're going to. I mean, it could save so much, so much time. Um, it doesn't really matter where you're at. You know, there's always, there are always people who've kind of been there, done that. And there are always people who have a different point of view. I mean, we're, uh, I'm sitting here talking, you know, we're a billion dollar company. And I was talking to my CEO and he just got off a, uh, a session interviewing Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. So the CEO of a billion dollar company gets to interview a CEO of a half a trillion dollar company or whatever they're at. And, you know, there's a million CEOs in between that, that I'm sure we can get, you know, we can pick the brains of that will have some amazing information. So there's really like, there's really no excuse and there's really no, 
there's no there's no there's no point in time which anybody has ever fully grown. You're always growing. You have to have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. And I think it's really important to to get out there and if you can empower your people with advisors, mentors and things like that. Yeah. And how would you describe your style when you when you've been in that role of managing teams? Um, I'm very not a micro. I, I I spend a lot of my time um, making sure I hire the right people, and a mm-hmm. lot less of my time micromanaging. I tr- I hire the right people, and then I give them the keys to the car, and I say go drive. Um, and I find that that's the best way to do it. You know, it's kind of like the uh, Abraham Lincoln. You know, it has six hours to chop down a tree, spends five hours sharpening the axe, one hour chopping down a tree. I'd rather spend all that time sharpening the axe. Like I'll spend the, I'll front load my energy and effort, my team's energy and effort of finding the right person. And then once I get them in, you, 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 you let them go do what they do, especially as the roles get more senior. Um, so I think that's very important. And you got to, and like in sales, even if the roles are more junior, I mean, you need to, you need to kind of understand the the key like core values that you're looking for that are gonna that are gonna scale well in your organization and then just try and replicate that across the board and they you know I, I've seen it so many different ways um, go find people who played competitive sports or you know played instruments or you know did some kind of extracurricular activities that were somewhat competitive so even if it wasn't a sport but they were like a concert pianist. It's like, all right, at least they like they got in, they were dedicated to something and they were hardcore about it. You know, like they were dedicated to their craft. They had a growth mindset, hiring for that. So going, yeah. going, going out and finding people who fit that mold every time. Um, one interesting one I heard was like row was an interesting, like, um, like high school and college rowing because you get up early, you're out in the water in the, on like freezing cold days and you're pushing your bodies to extremes where you're, you know, tearing muscles in your arms and your, you know, chest and stuff like that. And if you got the dedication to do that, then you should be pretty good doing the SDR job or, you know, some kind of a sales job where you get told no all the time. Right. So yeah. um, go and find the people who are, who, who are built with that. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned there around people who've, who've invested time in something. It all comes down to passion, doesn't it? I yeah. went to a networking event last week, and they, they said part of their process is they'll ask the candidate throughout the process or at one point to, to talk to them. You know, you've got five minutes. Talk to me about something you're passionate about. And it's a great way to be able to see, first of all, if someone has a passion, how they're able to articulate it. Because mm-hmm. if someone can't articulate a passion that is close to them, they're going to find it very hard to articulate your value proposition as a business. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I ask people like, why do you want to work here? And I, mm-hmm. and I make that part of it. Like what, what, what's so interesting about this? And you, you get lots of different answers. I mean, people were completely unprepared. You get people yep. who like the space, but not necessarily anything that has to do with the company. You like people who like the company, you know, you get people who like the company or like you as a leader. Um, it's just really easy, easy way to see how people, talk about it but also sell it you know how, mm-hmm. how good are they on their feet what's 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 your answer to that going to be um and being able to put that together is really compelling when somebody does it right i yeah. actually hired somebody on it um uh, like pretty much 
directly off that. That was awesome. So that was my CEO coming in here and, and what are you even talking about? But he said, something's awesome. So I'm pumped. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a million things. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> and um, your point earlier around mentorship, I think it's so important. I had a guest of mine on Cole Hatter and he, he, one of the things that really stuck with me is that he said, always have a mentor and always be a mentor in that it's not just about, you don't need to be an expert to be able to start developing people around you. Because if you look at it like a mountain, even though you're not at the top yet, you're still at certain base camps that other people are looking to get to. And it's a great way to yeah. reinforce your learning, but also support other people because you never know where people are going to end up around you either. Yeah. I'm a big believer in business karma. I think everybody should be mentoring and be a mentor and a mentor on both sides. So, um, Elisa Fink, who's the CMO, she was the CMO of Tableau up until a couple months ago. She was there from like zero to billion in revenue. Like not a lot of people had a, a, an amazing track record as her. She's one of my mentors and advisors in my new role as a marketer um, now. And she's incredible. She's an incredible asset and she's super generous with her time. And, and that's fantastic. And so someone like that is a mentor for me. I mentor a lot of you know, people who are a lot younger in their careers. But if you're a, like if you're, if you're an SDR and you've been an SDR for six months, go mentor an SDR who's been an SDR for six days, you know, or a month or something like that. There's always somebody who can use your advice, your time, your feedback. I mean, even just the support, you know, the, the, the bounce it off of. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on my no muscle. I need to start saying no to more things, but, um, you know, it's, I, I really do believe in, in uh, karma in, in many ways in life. And I think business karma is one of those things where, you know, you help people and it comes back. I think I've been able to hire an amazing team um, around me, you know, through a lot of my career because I've developed a reputation for, for helping and giving back and staying late, doing what I need to do, supporting my team, standing up for my team, doing all those types of things. So um, mm. hopefully they recognize that and, <laughs> And, uh, and that's why, and it's not just the companies I've been working for, but either way, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned at the start around, uh, sales hacker, yeah. out of curiosity, how, how did this come about? Was it a individual moment of thinking of it or was it a combination of things? Yeah. So, uh, I was an early employee at a company called Udemy, online education marketplace. I was about, uh, I think, like eighth employee, first sales hire. And they tasked me with building out the supply side, which is the sales side of their marketplace. And um, there wasn't a lot of sales technology back then. This is like seven years ago. So I was using uh, virtual assistants in the Philippines to outsource a lot of the tasks. I was you know, doing mail merges in Google spreadsheets. I was doing, um, you know, running my playbook out of a Google Doc. And then I started to use some of this like SEO keyword tools to do um, search strings for my virtual assistants and build lists. And then I was one of uh, ToutApp's first customers, which was like one of the first pieces of kind of email automation, sales engagement software for sales. And, you know, we were growing really quickly and VCs and other founders were asking how we were doing it. My, my founders were sending people to me to talk to me because I was running this process. And at the time I was a little old me. I had been working at the company for six months. It was like my first real job out of college other than the, the two companies I started before that, which had both kind of, you know, failed. And, um, and so I started talking about it and realized there was, there were a lot of people who wanted to figure out how to, to kind of build modern sales processes, leveraging technology. And so it, it started as a meetup and that meetup was, you know, four people. And we said 
to the group, you know, let's do this monthly, only bring people who are doing interesting stuff. So, you know, you could bring one person, but, you know, bring them as long as they're doing something interesting to talk about. And after uh, a few months of doing it while I was working at Udemy, meeting up monthly, uh, you know, the, the group grew. And um, when I left Udemy and I left uh, the, pre- the following company, Attorney Fee, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I went straight from Udemy to Attorney Fee and I wanted to take a little bit of a break. So I said to the room, hey, who here would be interested if we started a conference? And in the room, I had, you know, again, our thing was only bring people who had value. And we had been doing this for about a year now. So we had 20 people in the room. By the time I said, hey, who here would want to do this as a conference? Who would want to be involved? Who would want to speak? And in the room, I had Doug Landis, who was the VP of Sales Productivity at Box. Armando Mann, who was the VP of Sales at Relate IQ, which had uh, just before they had sold to Salesforce for like $400 million. I had Jason Lemkin, who was the CEO of uh, EchoSign, which had just sold to Adobe. Um, I had Matt Cameron, who was the GVP of sales at Yammer, which had just sold to Salesforce. So the group had grown to some pretty interesting individuals. Our first conference, and I made some good money on it. And that bought me some time to figure out what I wanted to do next. You know, a couple months later, I did another one in New York, and that made some good money. And I said, shit, well, I think I got something here. Let's, uh, let's run with it. Worst case scenario, I do this for a year and make an amazing network um, and a brand for myself. Uh, best case scenario, it, it turns into something. And I just always kept it, you know, very open. Like, you know, this isn't, I didn't know where we were going. Yeah. There were a million different things we could have done. And I wanted to keep it that way. I wanted it to be, you know, a choose your own adventure type thing. Uh, one day it looked like we were going to start a fund and invest in companies and do in the incubator. And the next day it's like, all right, we just got an amazing opportunity to do, the Saster conference. Let's do that for two years and make a bunch of money on that and then use that to fund the other stuff that we're going to do. Um, so it just kind of, just kind of grew from there. And, um, man, if I, if I could do it all over again, I'm sure I would have done a million things differently, but you know, I can't, and it worked out really well. I'm at outreach now. I'm super happy. Um, love this company, love this product. Uh, and it's, it's been a blast. Uh, and, and now I get to see what it's like on the marketing side of the fence, which has been very different yeah. from, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting when I ask that question to people who've, who've created their own thing, because it's, it always comes down to doing it with the right intentions. And I think these days that the approach is sometimes people will see the outcome of someone's journey and then think, I want that because of just seeing what the outcome is yeah. rather than actually the passion and the purpose behind it. And therefore, a, it probably isn't going to last, and B, you're going in with the wrong intention, so you're not going to have the, the probably the success that you've seen others have. Yeah, you know, everybody, everybody always thinks that like, you know, people are overnight successes <laughs> yeah, or whatever, and they don't see all the all the time and everything that went into it. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, there were so many days where I came home and I lay, I like laid down on my living room floor, stared up at the ceiling and was like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do next? Yeah. Um, but you know, it all works out. Yeah. And, and during that time or over your career, really, what do you think you've learned most about yourself? Uh, resilience. Um, 
let's see. What do I think I learned most about myself? Um, how resilient you are, like when you're put to the test. You know, so there were definitely things that I did that are like, I, shit, I didn't know I had that in me. Um, also, ability to like think on my feet. Also, the chip I've carried with me my whole life, which is, you know, I was a terrible, terrible student in grade school leading up, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, you know, uh, basically ages zero to 18. Um, you know, they always put me in special classes or thought I had ADD and I needed medication and all this stuff. My teachers were, you know, kind of assholes um, and didn't know how to, you know, work with me. And, um, and you know, I, I figured out probably way too late that like the best way for me to learn was by mm -hmm. doing and not by listening or, you know, reading or watching and that there was, you know, there's, there's no middle ground. I don't know in the U S at least where, um, if you learn that way, you go to a trade school, but then you're like, basically they're like, okay, well you can be an electrician or a carpenter. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's bullshit. Like why didn't, you know, like there, there has to be another way to learn the same thing that everybody else is learning, but just by doing right. So, um, that's the chip I carried with me my entire life. And kind of just as I check off boxes on things that I'm successful about, I look back at that and I say, you know, kind of take that, you know, Dean, take that guidance yeah. counselor, take that teacher, you know, kind of it's my chip and I like it. You know, it doesn't affect my, my, my day to day life. I'm not sitting around like brooding about it, but it keeps me, it keeps pushing me and it'll keep pushing me for, for a long time. And then, you know, I, I don't want to remove it. I kind of like having it. Yeah. So that, that works fuel, the fuel to the fire. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, Max, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for your, your insights and your thoughts. I've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks You're for welcome. having me on. And for people tuning into this and want to follow your journey and find out more about you, how can they find you in the world of social? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So Max Outchler on LinkedIn, that's where to find me. Uh, our new book just came out, Sales Engagement. Definitely check that out. Um, it's on Amazon. Uh, you can find it pretty much anywhere. And then uh, Outreach.io is our sales engagement platform. Definitely let me know if I can help you there um, or help in general. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Max. And for the listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Hey people, thanks for listening to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes and posts, you can find me on Instagram, Not Another Sales Guy, underscore in each of those words. You can also find the podcast on all major platforms by typing Not Another Sales Podcast. And also, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I go by the name of Chris Hatfield. So thanks again and stay tuned for another episode.